And please turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. We read from verses 21 through to verses 30. John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, beginning to read at verses 21 through to the 30th verse. Let's read together. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And so far we read together from the word of God, and may the word open his word to our hearts. So today is the third week in our mini sermon series called Jesus Gets Us. Now, when I introduced this series at Greenfields, I suggested that there are two themes that underpins the entire series of sermons. And this is our hope that we will walk away with these themes. They are our takeaway from this theme. And the first is that we will walk away with this renewed sense that God is much closer to us than we realize. That's what we're hoping that we will walk away with from this series. God is much closer to us than we realize. The second one is God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows us intimately and personally. And the text that we've just read captures both of these themes very well. It captures them well. We see them running through this text. God is much closer to us in the person of Jesus. God knows us better than we know 
ourselves. Now, let me make a brief comment about both of these themes as a way of applying them to us and, and help us to reflect on them deeper. I realize that you might be sitting here this morning saying, I hear you, Sia, that God is much closer to me than I realize, but that's not how I feel. I don't feel that he is closer to me. Maybe you are more aware of the immediacy of despair and pain than you are more aware of his immediate presence. And therefore you don't feel that he's much closer to you. And I want to say to you, if that's how you feel, well, you are in the good company here. You see, because every one of us have felt like that at some point in their journey of faith. I, I, I've I don't always feel that God is much closer to me. Recently, I attended at uh, my daughter's school. It was the end of the term, and so she was due to perform. My daughter sings beautifully, even if I may say this myself. Of course, I'm not the best to say that because I'm biased. Anyways, she, she was due to perform part of the choir. And like all the parents, you want your child to see you that you're there in the midst of the crowd. And so we've developed this strategy, you know, she sees me. But this time she couldn't see that I was there because of where I was seated. And I've tried to wave and I could see her gently trying to locate where I was. And she did this a few times and eventually she gave up and she focused to what was at hand. So at the end of it, we walked out and I said to her, I saw that you were trying to catch my eyes, but you couldn't see me. And so how did you feel about it? He said, look, I was sad that I couldn't see you, but I knew that you were there. And I took that as a metaphor of faith in the way in which I relate with God. I thought to myself, she's much confident than I am in my relationship with God. I don't always know that he is there. What I know that is there, it's the feeling that I carry. And so if that's how you feel, you are in the company of people like you. But you are also in the company of the biblical characters. This is why we have psalms as prayers of the people of God. Nothing is hidden in the psalms. All the twists and turns of human experiences, they are lived out in prayer before God. Nothing is hidden. One of the scholars that I've just discovered, he's not very well kept. He's got his hair up to this far. And his Anyways, it's another story. But he's an amazing thinker and a scholar. Malcolm Guide is a poet. He says, Psalms are the training of the soul in honest prayer. When you read Psalms, all of them, 150 of them, what you are busy encountering, you are training your soul in honest prayer. 
every feeling and every emotion is brought up. So don't beat yourself if you don't seem to feel that he's much closer to you than you realize. That's what we've just read. Jesus' soul was troubled. His soul was troubled because of betrayal, human betrayal. His friends, Judas Iscariot, whom he walked with for three and a half years, has betrayed him. And his heart was troubled. But there is another aspect to that idea of us not feeling God is much closer to us than we realize. And this has something to do with our understanding of God, theologically speaking. Many of us have this idea of this God who is removed and always distanced and removed from us. My father, my dad, left us when I was seven years. He walked out on us and he died when I was 11. Now, why am I telling you that? Do I want your sympathy? No, that's not why I'm telling you this. But I'm telling you this because later in my life, as I reflect on my father, I realize that actually... He was not a bad human being, but he was a product of his time. My father was very distant. He was cold. He was mean. And as I think about him, whom I have come to love for who he is, not for what he's done, I realized that he was the product of his time. And now, it's easy to take that picture of my father and see God in the light of my father. This distant and removed God. And I'm not sure if you grew up at the time I grew up at. There was a song that was big and popular called From a Distance by Julie Gold. She speaks of this beautiful and wonderful world from a distance. And the, the song ends by this threefold or repetition, God is watching us. God is watching us, and God is watching us from a distance. But you see, the Bible describes a different God. It tells us that the God who helps us is the God who understands us. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a position where you needed to ask help from somebody and you realize that as you ask for help from this person this person is actually completely removed from your trouble he or she can't relate with what you're telling him I can remember telling a friend 
about the struggle of living by faith. He said, yeah, thank you for telling me, but you see, I don't know that. I've never have to live by faith. He is talking about how God has provided for him and his family in an abundance way, or in an abundant way. He is never have to leave and say, I hope I get paid on time this month. He doesn't know that. You know, so I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you have to say, I need help from somebody who has no clue of what you're going through. Often the challenge with that is that not only you, 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 know, you, you struggle to get help, but the, the difficulty of asking for help on its own. And to add on that, the person from whom you're asking help is far removed from your need. And often, if you've ever been in that position, you walk away feeling as small, smaller than you were before you actually express your feeling. But here we have a God who understands us, who doesn't help us as charity, but who comes and immerses himself in our situation. And so when we cry out to him, he understands what we're talking about. So the Bible describes a different God. And it tells us that the God who helps us, the God who helps you, understands. But it adds that the Jesus we cry out to, his God is also a God who was there. The Jesus we cry out to, whatever it is that we may be crying out to him for, he was there. That's what this chapter we've read is about. If you read this chapter, one of the tensions I sit with in preaching on John 13 is that I need to be loyal to the text, but also there is a theme that we are trying to, to, to be true to. But it's an amazing chapter, or not an amazing chapter, it's a dark chapter, John 13. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. It belongs to what is known the upper room discourse. Five chapters of John's gospel, 13 through to 17. Jesus invites his disciples in this secluded place. He spends the night with them before he is crucified the following day. And as he does that, he walks them through. On the one hand, his life is about to come to an end. His ministry is about to come to an end. The promises that he's made are not going to be fulfilled. But what Jesus says and does in these five chapters says to the disciples who were there, there is life beyond crucifixion. That's an amazing. You see, what we learn in those five chapters is how to follow Jesus in the light of the cross. Because you see, let me say this to us, it's different to follow Jesus who feeds 5,000 plus people. 
and you are amongst the people who dish out bread. And so somehow you get to, to taste the glimpse of the glory of the one who sends you. As you passes the bread and the fish to the hungry crowds, in a way you are the channel of help and the channel of blessing. So, so, so you get a bit of thank yous. Not because you're the one who brought bread, but because you are sent by the one who gives bread. So it's easy to follow Jesus in that view. But it's tough to follow Jesus when he gets to be rejected. And those who claim to be his followers are also called to come and testify that, yes, I am his follower, while they see him being crucified. And so those five chapters, they are there to help us to learn how to follow Jesus in the light of the cross. Not in the light of the miracle maker, Jesus, but the rejected, the scorned, the shameful Jesus. And the truth is we're not good at that one. We are like Judas. We are like Peter. To defend ourselves, we will say, I don't know him. I don't know him. One of the beauties about the wedding that I attended yesterday was to see this young couple who have been part of our church at least for a year and a half or so, being the shining light in their family. You could tell there is absolutely nothing about church in the rest of the family. They are a small or the minority who follow Jesus. And so I get to do their wedding in that environment. And as I speak about how as a church we view marriage, I realize that I'm walking on a very tight rope here. Am I going to be true to what scripture says or am I going to say, you know what, it's not popular here. And, and, and I can't claim to have done it well, but the beauty of it is that every one of us get to be confronted with those opportunities. And the question that confronts us is, are we going to follow Jesus in the light of the cross or in the light of popularity? Jesus is closer to us than we realize. He relates with us in our humanity. He was troubled in spirit as his friends were betraying him. But Jesus also knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, I don't know about you. The idea of being known by God and Jesus has both comfort but also challenge. It, it comforts me to know that he knows me. He knows my name. I am precious to him. There is a value that he has attached to me as he has to you. You are made in his image and you've been 
entrusted as a steward of the rest of creation as a human being. That's the value. In the creation story, the creation of human beings is the apex of the creation story. Because of both the value that God attaches to us. So that we celebrate that God knows us. But there are times where I wish God didn't know me. There are times like the psalmist in Psalm 139 where I want to hide from him. Where I want to run away from God. Because my sin overwhelms me. And the fact that he knows about it doesn't make me happy. But the good news is God knows all of that about me. And he chooses to call me his friend. Maybe they are warning me there to finish because once those bikes rev, then this service is finished. And I can't compete with them. So that's where I'm going to end. So that I don't compete with those bikes. He is the Jesus or the God of the scars who relate with us in our pain. Jesus gets us because he went through the pain. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness. And that's what we celebrate when we receive those elements. We celebrate and remember that his body was broken for us. His blood was poured for us.